Welcome to the Beach and Black Podcast, an award-winning, unofficial podcast on print. For over 10 years, giving you print news, reviews, trivia, and all things happening in the print world. Featuring the host, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my god, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tony Young. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. On this episode, we talk to James Fluff Harley, a producer, mixer, engineer, and songwriter based in LA, California, who worked with Prince on his 2010 album released in 2010. James has also worked with Yumi Matsutoya, New Medicine, and Lucinda Williams, to name a few. As usual, it's the Peach and Black podcast panel from left to right player. We're about to lay it down. Uh, toe Jam. Sticky light toe jam. And <laughs> Captain. Here come the purple Yoda. <laughs> and it's me, Rob S., and the place to be. And this is. So sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to our chat with James. I guess the first obvious question is uh, why fluff, and is there a story on how you acquired? I the mean, name? there. I mean, yes, there is a story, and I don't know. You know, so many people ask me, and they you know, and I, and and I, <laughs> I usually just. I mean, I'll tell you guys, right? But I usually don't tell because it's just one of those that, like, oh, the mystery. Um, mm. But so. <laughs> Oh, don't worry, no one will, no one will ever oh, hear this. It should be like... Uh, <laughs> should be, should, I like you. I like you. <laughs> you should be like um, Heath Ledger's Joker and tell a different story every time someone asks you. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, should I start that right now? or? Um. <laughs> Why not? Um, no, I mean, the, the reality is, you know, I mean, I lost a bet. And... Yep. Uh, <laughs> Here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a, oh, a, we've all done that. Yeah. Well, here's a football bet with the NFL here in the States. And I was in college at a recording school at the time and I made the bet with the teacher and he, we both kind of had like, I guess he had longer hair than me, but he naturally was like very kind of silver. Right. And, um, and I had blonde hair, really long. And we made this bet. And the bet was if my team won, he had to cut off all of his hair. And if, you know, my team lost, then I had to dye my hair silver. Because <laughs> he knew I wasn't, I had no fear of cutting my hair. I'm just like not that guy, right? So, so if, unfortunately I lost. And um, so like a, like a man, I went in and I had my hair dyed silver. Now, unfortunately, it didn't really take, and it came out like albino white. And I remember I showed up to school, and they all just started calling me. Well, he and another guy just started calling me Fluff, and then it kind of caught on. And I went through the tactic of, you know what? 
I'm not gonna make. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let it bother me. I'm gonna act Embrace like it's it. not a big deal, <laughs> and I'm just you know see if it just dies off, right? So <laughs> fast forward about you know I don't know six weeks, maybe maybe eight weeks. I had to go to um, L.A. to do a gig for this Japanese artist. That my that's how actually how I met my wife. She used to be the manager of this mega Japanese pop singer. And we went to L.A. Who, who, I is, remember it? who is it? Uh, Yumi Matsutoya. Ah, okay. You, oh, the <gasps> Sonic the Hedgehog guy. Sonic the Hedgehog guy. No. <laughs> oh, maybe that's Yumi. No? I don't know if that's Matsutoya, but um, uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so I, you know, we show up day one. I walk into Henson Studios, formerly A and M, which is a gorgeous place. Walked into Studio A, and there's the assistant, and he's just like, "You must be Fluff," and I was just like, "Oh!" <laughs> <laughs> it followed me 2,600 miles. So at that point, I'm just like, you know what? I'm I'm using it. Whatever. I'm using I- it. So. There it is. Gotcha. <laughs> and it just stuck. So, and there, you know, what do you do? <laughs> not, 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 yeah. Now, was that, was that, did, Prif, did, did Prince use that name? Did he call you Fluff? When, when you guys were working together? Um, you know, uh, sometimes he did. You know, I mean, he, he, he was so, you know, very proper, you know, and every, you know, James, you know, like, <laughs> he was always just like that guy. So, but I mean, sometimes, you know, when it was like late at night, you know, uh, Fluff, can you do that? Okay. You know, and you're like, all right, you know. So, yes, he, has he? Yes. You know, like all those cats like Morris and Michael Bland and, you know, they all call me Fluff. I bet if I texted Morris and was just like, hey, this is James Harley, I think he might be like, Hey, Fluff. Who? No, or no, I think he might be like, who? Who are you? Uh, you say you it's know. Fluff, instantly he knows. Instantly, yeah. I mean, I actually just saw him at NAMM this past January mm. and uh, for, the, for the award show, and um, he was outside, and I just walked up, and he looks up, he goes, Fluff! I'm just like, oh, there it is. Mo. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Mo? <laughs> so, um, yeah, but all those guys just kind of know me as, as Fluff, you know? It's been, a one, cool. been around for a while, since 99, cool. actually. Mm. Okay, oh, uh, can you give us, uh, uh, the listeners, a bit of background about yourself and how you got yeah, started? Yeah, so I, you know, grew up in northern Minnesota, and, uh, you know, I was in a very bad car accident, and I broke my back, and um, so time for a career change at that time, and I probably, I think I was like 21, maybe 22, So, um, you know, did some research, right, with my school counselor or my former school counselor, and he found a school that was in Minneapolis called Music Tech. So my mother and I went down there and met them and applied and I got in. And uh, from there, you know, it's it's kind of a, a crazy story because I, you know, I went in, I guess, at a different mindset than everybody else. You know, everybody else there, they unfortunately kind of treated it like rock and roll high school, you know, and I was there because, you know, uh, I needed to do something (laughs) because I I was recovering from a broken back. Right. So I went in and I just studied and I worked and I was trying to get in the studio every night. And, you know, I remember just some of my teachers really embraced me and, you know, I had some that, you know, 
no offense to them, but they were coming at it from a very much of like, hey, you know, you're never really going to be in a big studio. You know, you're probably going to have a home studio set up making these records. And Iris is always like, that's not what I want to do. You know, mm. I want to be in big rooms working yeah. with X artists, blah, blah, blah. And they didn't really have like the big SSLs and the Neves at this at this facility. So I took it upon myself to call these manufacturers and buy their manuals and have them shipped to me. And I basically learned a lot of that kind of stuff on my own, in tandem with what I was being taught as far as engineering uh-huh. goes. So to fast forward that, you know, it got to the point of his third semester and, you know, uh, one of the uh, admissions guys was like, oh, you know, we're putting in an SSL room next door by this guy named Tom Tucker. And, you know, he's uh, partners with ooh. Paul Peterson and Ricky Peterson and Cubby yep. Colby. And, yep. and you know, I'm like, oh, that's dope. He's like, you know, you should really try to get in there. I'm like, OK, OK, OK. You know, well, lo and behold, you know, weeks later, a U-Haul truck shows up with this SSL. And I remember we're taking a break from class and I just walked over there (laughs) and introduced myself (laughs) and basically told him straight up that I could run this thing. And that led to I've already got the manual. I've read it front to back. Yep. (laughs) And that that led to um, getting an internship, which led to becoming an assistant, which led to a Pro Tools guy and making a bunch of music with Tom Tucker for multiple years and meeting, you know, Michael Bland and Sonny Thompson and Morris Hayes and, you know, and, and all those guys. And then I eventually kind of broke off on my own. But that's kind of the, the short form story of that. Oh, well, and the other thing is because I got an internship and an assistant gig, the school, seeing how far <laughs> I was from anybody else in my class, basically <laughs> tested me out. They're like, we're going to give you A's across the board. We talked about it with all the other teachers and you have A's across the board, just do your final project for your oh, fourth wow. semester. You That's already the have way a gig. <laughs> you already locked in. We don't need to worry about you. <laughs> yeah. And, you, you, and you'll be the, fine. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, you'll be fine. I remember one guy, Jack Robinson, was literally just like, I feel like you're get, you're gonna get dumber by just sitting in the class. Because you're <laughs> you're because I was just so driven, right? Yeah. Because I couldn't go back to like a manual labor job or something like that. Mm. That You know, I mean, again, it was if I wasn't in classes in the studios and if I wasn't in the studios, I was reading manuals or whatever. You know, I was just constantly surrounding myself with what was going on technology wise and all that stuff. Right. Because I I needed to be someplace. Mm. Right. So that's what I did. I totally committed myself while everybody else was having parties and coming in late or not showing up to class. You know, I was the guy that was there. So. There right. you go. <laughs> and I guess growing up in Minnesota, um, like what was your view on Prince and his music before working with him? And did that change after working with him? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it changed a lot, actually, after working with him um, in, in a positive mm. way. Like I was I mean, I, I knew of Prince and I guess I would consider myself a fan. Like I love when doves cry and, you know. All I wonder of, if yeah, that, you could grow up stuff. in Minnesota and not really be aware of Prince. Is that no. even possible? <laughs> no. That, that, well, I mean, up there, yeah, no. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> maybe, you know. Um, my, myself, I grew up, I was a massive, and I still am, a massive 
Michael Jackson fan. Like, I yep. love Thriller right. and Bad, and uh, I think his Dangerous album is oh, brilliant. And I still yeah. A-B rooms I'm going into with that song Jam, you know? Um, oh, yes. <clears throat> so I was on that, that side of the coin, right? And then obviously as I got more on the studio side and I started working with Tucker and stuff, you know, you become more aware. Then, you know, inadvertently, you know, you start buying these CDs that Ricky Peterson and Paul Peterson, you know, they've all been playing on it, you know, and, yeah. and not necessarily to do research, but just try to like get some type of insight of like where they are because, you know, I was learning yeah. so much from being around these guys and seeing how they do things, right? So um, so at that point, you know, I started to get more into the, the disc discography and, you know, um, like the Gold Experience is probably one of my favorite Prince records. Oh, as you're the right as as guy to be on this show. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I think, I think Endorphin Machine might be oh. his <laughs> greatest rock rock song. Um, yep. And I love the song yeah. Gold. I mean, the, the whole record is just so strong. And I just, you know, to hear the stories from, like, Tucker, because he engineered and mixed it, and, you know, and Ricky Peterson and those, you know, because they're all working on it, you know, just yeah. to hear, like, some of those behind the scenes and just like, wow, you know. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, you know, it was crazy. But but quite, quite frankly, it wasn't until I moved to Minneapolis that I even knew what Paisley Park was. I remember people talking about it. And in my brain, I kept on thinking of, like, L.A. studios. Like, what? Like, Record Plant mm, and yeah. and Capital and all this stuff. And people were talking, oh, Paisley Park. You got to check out Paisley Park, you know. And unfortunately, at that time, it was pretty much closed to the public. Mm. But then, you know, obviously, you do your research. And you're like, oh, wow, there's this massive high-class facility sitting in Chanhassen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, whoa. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. to find out, you know, movies were made there and, you know. But it was it was after cool. I actually started working with him that because I knew he was amazing. I mean, you pretty much have to be under a rock not to not to see the mm. musicality from from him, right? But to to witness it on the creative level, you're just like, yep, you know. And I will argue until I'm out of breath that I I honestly think he is probably the greatest guitar player that has ever lived. I think that like. You know, yep. after more time has yeah. probably go by, you know, because everybody talks about like Hendrix and Clapton and, you know, and they're obviously amazing. Right. Yeah. So I'm not taking anything away from them. But to see him and just see how flawlessly he he makes it happen and on so many different musical styles, you know, yeah. it's it's mind numbing. <laughs> to be like, <laughs> and to, you know, much less to see him on bass or on piano or, you know, but when you see him pick yeah. up that guitar. And he just starts doing his thing. It's, you know, it's yeah. instantaneous goosebumps, you know. And how did you end up connecting to Prince? What was that first meeting or interaction like? Uh, as far, uh, well, the first meeting was, I remember one night Mo called me and he's like, <laughs> he's like, hey, I got a question, you know, what's your availability? You know, can you come out? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'll come out and meet and, and meet with them, you know. Um, and I did. And, you know. And it wasn't really, I don't know if other people like go out there and actually have a meeting with him. But my first interaction with him was I was sitting in Studio A and he, he walks in and we say our, our hellos. And, and he's like, so you with me tonight? I'm just like, yep, I guess I am. <laughs> and then literally he's just like, can I hear the Lynn drum machine? I'm like, yep. 
you know, pull it up <laughs> on the console, get, you know, get it going to, to the studer machine, and, and all of a sudden, boom. And then four days later, we had demos, full, full demos for pretty much what's on 2010. And go. it just kept on going. <laughs> so it wasn't like some interview process. It was just kind of like, oh, Let's oh go. We're, we're just working. <laughs> Killer, you know? Nice. <laughs> so... It sounds like that was the interview yeah. process. So if you got if you hooked that up wrong, yeah. <laughs> the Lindrum doesn't have the snap, crackle, and pop. Then. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess <laughs> you know. I mean, he's you know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind it's kind of weird to like kind of talk about it, right? But like, he, I feel like there's one side of the coin where he's he's very easy to work for, right? And mm. on the other side of the coin, your brain goes, "This is the dude." Yeah. And and you know what I mean? So I, I so I think there's like that psychological of you put more weight on yourself. On yourself, yeah. Because you want to make sure everything's right and just that Don't everything's lo- locked in, right? <laughs> that, you know, very rare I would see him like get flustered at me. You know, the only time I'd see him get flustered was all of a sudden, you know, gear wouldn't work. That, that's uh-huh. when I feel like when when you'd see him kind of get I guess flustered you know I mean he, I never seen him really ever get upset or anything but you could just kind of tell like he was in work mode and he was like in that creative zone and all of a sudden something you know, stopping the, him from getting it yeah, out yeah know? yeah the Juno has got a buzz now that you're oh now bug hunt because now we got to try to find out where this buzz is coming from and then sometimes the buzz would stop before you find out where it's coming from so then he'd come back <laughs> in and then he'd you know after an hour or so he'd finally be back into his zone and then the buzz you know so Stop there'd be like it. those those yeah. type of things, right? But yeah, I, I just feel like there's just just because it's him, there's you automatically put a lot of more kind of weight, I guess, on your shoulder because you want to get things done. And I feel the biggest part of that job is just keeping up with him because he moves so fast. Mm. Um, and it's from what I saw, it was like ninety five percent all gut <laughs> and instinct. And, you know, like 5% mental thought process. Like he would never sit down and like listen to it and be like, huh, you know? Nah, it all just start, comes out. He'd, yeah. He'd start <laughs> playing and he'd be like, plug me in the guitar. And then, <laughs> you know, we're, we're replacing this track. And, you know, he'd, he'd just do it, you know, like, boom. <laughs> mm-hmm. which, is, which, is, which is great, you know, because not a lot of people are like that. <laughs> like yeah. there's really not a lot known about the recording and making of this 2010 album so we hope you can clear a few things up first of all was everything was recorded at paisley park everything everyone, was done everyone, everyone assumes that but it's not always the case yeah. but yeah yeah everything was done at paisley you know and all the mixing um, everything yeah i mean i wasn't around for the for the mixing i, I was doing another oh you were just gig. recording yeah yeah i was just doing like the tracking stuff yeah. you know and and you know I, I i was back at paisley after that as well doing things that I'm assuming ended up in the vault. So I don't really know who mixed it. He might have mixed it. I guess I don't, quite frankly, I, I just don't know. Um, but yeah, all the tracking was done in, in Paisley in Studio A and okay. uh, on, on the SSL. And we basically, it was basically him and I, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. It was just us two in, in, mm. in a room. There was no, there's no band. He brought in some background singers mm. and sometimes I'd get a CD from, from Mo. Um, that had some stuff on it, you know, and then I think the horns horns were done there as well, some of the horn parts. But yeah, I mean, there's basically just him and I in Studio A, and maybe that's why, you know, there's harmony 
you know, there wasn't just mm. a lot of people around. But we just, again, we just kind of started and, and whipped it up and we kind of I made a little station for him where he could literally sit at the center of the console and to his left was like bass pedals, <laughs> to his right was like yeah. his guitar pedals. He could so swivel lit. 180 to his racks of keyboards. <laughs> And then the Lynn drum machine was that, you know, his seven o'clock. And then he had his vocal microphone, you know, so he could basically just stay in the zone. And then I had the Pro Tools rig off to the right side of the console. Do you remember the timeline of all this? Because I think it was started maybe October, November 2009. Do you remember? No, we started it in. um, Yeah, I mean, we started it. So I believe we started it in the beginning of. September. I mean, I guess I could go back and look at invoices. Because oh, okay. I, yeah. I remember I was in Japan, and my wife and I were climbing Mount Fuji at the end of August. Uh-huh. And then we came back, and it was like shortly right after that is when I got the call. And, th- and then I went out there. So I'd probably say like maybe mid, mid-September, you know? And mm. it went until probably like beginning of Feb... September 2009. Yes, from 2009 yeah. till probably yeah. uh, beginning of February... I guess, you know, and then we had like kind of a Christmas okay. break that was in there, you know. Um, yeah, or I'd say it's about yeah. five months, you know. Yeah, and then obviously he had some things that were going in, so it wasn't like we weren't working seven days, seven days a week, you know. But we worked probably easily five, you know. There'd just be some days where all of a sudden he'd fly musicians in, and he'd just want to jam all day, and he's, so he's just like, "You don't need to come in today. I'm going to be jamming." You're like, oh, "All right, killer." Catch up on sleep, <laughs> you know, um, and then like Christmas or stuff, or he'd come out to LA for a week or so, and you know, then he'd come back, you know, like he'd just do like things where he'd just, oh, I'm gonna go to LA. I'm like, oh, killer, you know, and then he'd go, he'd be like, when are you leaving? He's like, 15 mm. minutes. Oh, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll yeah, stay you know what I mean? So, like, you know, he's like, can you, can you finish up and, and be ready? I'm like, yep, yeah, you know, and then you come back and then, then we just start working again, you know. Mm. So, speaking about that, this, you know, he's, he's got that chair, it's swiveling mm. around, he's got pedals on the left, on the right, and keyboards behind him, and all this sort of stuff, and presumably the mic, you know, directly in front of him yep. in the console. The image that I'm getting in my mind is not only is it just the two of you there, but as far as him laying down all these tracks and you recording them and being involved as well in that whole entire process, that, that's like the typical uh, one-man band yeah. scenario, yeah. right? Like aside from people coming in and recording background vocals and aside from occasionally people coming in and jamming, the, what you just described is basically the whole Prince one-man band phenomenon that you are sitting right next to, by the way, that entire time, which is just absolutely mind-blowing for us to, to even try to imagine. Yeah, I mean, trust me, there, there are a couple times when he'd be slaying a, guitar, you know, a piano solo and you'd just be like, what is happening right now? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then, you know, it'd sink in of like, wow, uh, I'm sitting here next to, next to dude, you know, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, again, it was just like, and that's the one thing I remember when, when, when he said, you know, when we first started, as he was doing the demos, you know, he, he I remember he, he being very much like, I want to do something more old school. I want to do, you know, hence the Lynn drum machine. And he wanted to, mm. you know, just kind of bring back that, which to me, I actually was like, yes, you know, because I love like yeah. <laughs> Delirious and When Doves Cry and like that, you know, 
Like, I love that era of Prince, you know, where I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) You know, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like him and I and I didn't actually expect that. I thought for sure, you know, we're going to be bringing in like Kirky J or Michael Bland or, you know, yeah, sometimes John Blackwell was out there, you know, just jamming. And I thought for sure that, oh, well, you know, do I need to get ready and have a drum set ready to go if we're going to be laying down drums and it, it just never came to it. You know, when we did have to lay down some actual acoustic drums, it mm. would be, it would be him playing them, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a very unique experience and I don't know how many other people actually have made music with him in that kind of scenario. You know, I guess I, I don't really know. So yeah, that was actually, it seems, it seems pretty rare. I was going to say that was actually one of our questions we had coming up was that the 2010 album seems to have that nostalgic kind of feel with the Lindrum and a mm-hmm. lot of the sounds he uses sort of hark back to songs from the early 80s. So you're saying this was like a conscious decision that Prince was Yeah, yeah, he I mean, he, he basically, he just stated, I guess would be the way to say it, that, that he, you know, yeah. kind of wanted to do, do kind of old school. And I know that prior to that, like, what's the name of the record? I think it's called MPLS Sound. Sound. Yeah, yeah, that he did with... Um, yeah. um, Richard Furch, who actually I just conversed with him a couple days ago, and I'm, I'm going to ah. check out his, he has an extra room at his place at Mix House. And he said, those peach and black guys. No, he didn't say anything. Um, I didn't even bring it up, but um, yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think he's amazing. Like, I love those two records, yeah. for real. Like, yeah, Lotus wow. Flower is great, yeah. Yeah, Lotus Flower is so good. That guitar tone is so good. <laughs> mm. But yeah, he wanted to just kind of bring it. There's two things that he said, right? He, he, he stated that he kind of wanted to go old school on it. And then he also stated that he wanted something that could, you know, segue great in the club. Hence why you have all of like the kick hits starting every song. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if anybody ever caught that yet. But that, that was a very conscious effort. You know, and as the the album is being made, we every night, you know, I'd make a, a CD with the rough mixes, and he'd want to play with different sequencing of it and different crossfades mm. and, and this and that. But yeah, there was something he wanted to as well as to have some type of segue, so the club when the song comes on, it could just go like it's be easy for the DJs yeah. to to yeah. to roll his music in. You know, but yeah, one man band. I it mean, was, it's an it interesting. It's an interesting choice because in his entire career, he didn't look back very much. And then for some reason around this time, he's like, I'm going to go back to like controversy and, you know, remake that sound. It was just a, it was a weird yeah, thing. I mean, we didn't expect it. Yeah, no, I mean, and again, you know, I feel like he, he's made records after 2010 that are still kind of got that, mm. that, that, that hint. Yeah. And, and again, I don't know why, you know, and, and I, by no means is he the guy that's like, oh, I want to copy Delirious. Like that, trust mm. me, that doesn't flow through yeah. his bones. But yeah, so I don't, I don't know why. But I mean, to be quite frank with you, it was pretty amazing to watch him program that Lynn drum machine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right wow, in front was of he, yeah. Oh, wow, was he fast. <laughs> Just like... Hmm. Whoa, you know, there's so, a drum Yeah, it was track. actually the old school Lindrum, not like just samples from on like Pro Tools or something. So, no, no, right. yeah, he would sit there and, you know, and he would literally just get the beat going with his fingers and just he'd get it going oh. and we'd put put down the verse and then he'd do the chorus and then after that he'd do all the, the, the cymbal work. It was crazy to watch him work that He's thing. had a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was like, whoa. 
<laughs> this is no joke. Actually, speaking of Pro Tools, did you guys? I'm presuming you're, you're recording everything digitally. It's digital board. There's no anal, There's no. You're not recording to analog tape. No, analog, we right? did actually. And again, um, I guess I don't know from the the previous albums and actually after that. But you know, all the stuff that I worked on with him, it always started the same. We always put up a fresh piece of tape, and then you know we would oh, wow. fill it up, and then we would make a, a a second reel where I'd you know we'd bounce the main the main elements you know like maybe four or six tracks on a, a new piece of tape and then work that up and then when that was done I would transfer everything then into Pro Tools right mm. and then from there he would we just do overdubs but at that point the vocals were already done you know the drums were already done so it would be like just you know, the miscellaneous. Wow. I never would have guessed sprinkles. that. It sounds so, I mean, it sounds like digital. It sounds so clean. So that uh, amazes me yeah. that it started on tape. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, here's, it was all, a lot of it was tape, you know. Again, it, it went, it went into Pro Tools, right? But, mm. you know. Well, I suppose to get that, to, if he's all, going all old school, you got to do it on tape, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just, mm. I, I also remember him just like beating the crap out of that tape. <laughs> <laughs> with the, with his levels of just like, bam! I'm like, wow, uh, okay, yeah. perfect. But I mean, that was that was one of his things, you know. Um, he, he the other thing he told me in the very beginning is that at the end of the day, he just wants it to sound hot. Yeah. So he's like, I don't care what you know about gain structure. Don't look. I'm at the doing meters. it my way. <laughs> no, he's basically said, you know, don't don't look at the meters. Trust your ears. Feel it. You know, turn it up until you hear hear it breaking up. And then back it down, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, he goes, I, I want it to sound hot. And he goes, I want it to sound hot on a level that's not being created from, like, digital limiting and, and, and stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like, he just, he wanted everything to be recorded hot. Because there is a sound, especially when you're hitting tape, right? So, mm. I, I do remember that in the very beginning. You've got to maximize whatever range the... Because it's got a limit, right? I mean, a well, a, 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 a tape doesn't, you know, will naturally saturate and compress. You know what I mean? Mm. And and uh, like splat, if if you will. You know, the harder you hit it, the more it's splatting against mm. tape, right? As a, as a visual. Whereas like digital, it is what it is. <laughs> so if it's not splatting at the microphone, mm. it's not necessarily splatting at the converters, right? I mean, the converters on the, on the Pro Tools rig are just translating it from an an analog signal into a digital signal. But with tape, you actually can get that effect, right? And there's, you know, when you listen to all those records back in the day, there's a lot of yeah. fat records <laughs> mm -hmm. That's it. that yeah. are, are, you know, analog reasonings. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was, it, was all, it was all analog. And that, wow. you know, yeah. Cool. So you got all these analog elements, you got these old school instruments, you got Pro Tools, you're working in Paisley Park. I mean, what's your impression of Paisley Park as a studio facility and as compared to other studios you've worked at? Oof. Well, Paisley Park is beautiful. I don't know if you guys mm. have ever been there, yeah. but um, I have. It, I have. It, it <laughs> is amazing. Studio B is amazing. And it's got probably the coolest lounge you've ever mm. seen in your life. I don't know if you guys want to just yep. Google, lounge, Google photos yeah. of it, but it's all black light. And when you... <laughs> You see the galaxy and you're just like, what? Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's super vibe out there, right? I mean, you walk in there and you're like, the outside world doesn't exist and you're in Prince land, yep. you know? <laughs> and it's and it's great, right? It, it's really great. What's different about it from like other studios I've been in is when I was out there, you know, there wasn't really an on-staff 
tech, you know, where if you're like at Henson or the record plant and a microphone gets fidgety, bring it to the tech office in 20 minutes, mm. it's boom. You know what I mean? So, that, I mean, there were times when like keyboards wouldn't be working or there was one time that the SSL was acting up, you know, and, and we were able to get a tech out there, but they're not just waiting for something to do. So then you basically mm. are waiting for them to show up and then to fix the problem and then, you know. But I mean, it, it's it's legit. It compares. That is that is for sure. Like it's it's an amazing facility. Like, cause the main desks that he's got in there are they still like the original desks that he would have had put in in like I think it was eighty five, eighty six, or have they been updated, upgraded since then? Uh, well, they've been. So I mean, I I mean, if memory. I suppose all the effects racks and everything you can update, but the main desks are still the same desks that have been there. Yeah, well, I mean, one. I think I think they started with two SSLs in there, and then I think if memory serves me correct, I I want to say it was like early nineties or something. He updated Studio A mm. from a six thousand console to an eight thousand console. Same same SSL, right? Because I yeah. I believe they wanted to do more film mixing, and and the eight thousands got like a a matrix in it that allows you to do like surround panning and blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. And then they updated studio two also had a, an SSL in there. And then they updated that with a API Demidio hybrid, which is super mm. fat. And that's what I think, I think the majority of gold experience. I know, I know that most beautiful girl in the world was mixed on that API. I remember Tucker talking about that and how, he spelt, spent like twelve days mixing that song. Mm. <laughs> He's like, by the time, by the time it was approved, I, I couldn't listen to it anymore. <laughs> but um, and he said it was because There's you know, about they, eight different remixes of it too. <laughs> yeah, and he's, and he's like, you know. And, and the reason was, it's not because he couldn't get the mix writers, because, you know, they had guest vocalists and, you know, there's like different international versions and, and you know what I mean? Yeah. To like yeah. really cross cross the markets. But besides that, I mean, I think it's been that way now since like the 90s. So nothing's really changed. I mean, he's gotten like some new, some newer gear or, you know, we've rented gear and I'm assuming that mm. all that stuff probably was the the same all the way up to like 2015, right? But mm. it, it was it was very, very simple as far as engineering wise, it was very simple pass, which is maybe why it sounds so clean to you guys. It was all mm. outboard API mic breeze, and it was just direct source, maybe a compressor or something, straight into the tape machine. So all of the signal for all the instruments weren't routed through the SSL. The playback would come up on the SSL, and we'd use the SSL for like transfers if needed, but the majority of the signal path was like as clean as possible, as clean and as hot as possible. Was mm. that must know. explain? I think that must go some way to explaining why we hear the Lin drums in particular and the guitars actually sounding Crispy. super crisp and tight. Like, the, and they're they're lean. Like the guitars mm-hmm. are super lean, but the Lin drums got that classic Lin mm-hmm. punch. And it sounds like, I mean, that was the sound that Prince was going for. You know, getting it hot and then pulling it back slightly. But I'm wondering, did it ever get too hot for you? Like, did you ever hear hear any of the results and think to yourself, "Oh, it's a bit too far. Maybe we should pull it back a bit." Uh, (laughs) You know, as far as the final product, or as far as just like through the through the course of as how far he'd want me to push something. I I mean, there were definitely a couple times where I was just like, "Wow." (laughs) 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 But you know, again, it's it's you know, what do you do 
when when you make him a, a CD and he listens to it and then he comes back, he's like, I wanted a couple DB hotter. You're like, yeah. all right. And so yeah. <laughs> then, then, then you do it, right? Mm. And the, but, you know, as an audio guy, you're listening back and you're going like, and then you're just looking at SSL meters pinned from the very <laughs> beginning. And I'm not talking about pinned and they're bouncing because there's there's definitely a sweet spot within yep. the SSL console where you want to be hitting it really hard because the sound actually starts to open up before it closes down. But this was just like, wow, those needles don't even flicker. <laughs> They're just there. <laughs> Killer. Okay, <laughs> but you know, I mean, what do you do? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue. I mean, he wants to hear what he wants to hear and then, you know, there would be times where all of a sudden he'd be like too loud, you know, and you're like, "All right." And then then you just make that adjustment, right? But I, <laughs> I do remember mm. some of those now, now where you're like, wow, he, he's really going for stun mode. He must be going to the club later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, you, you work on a lot of different material with, with different artists, right? But it appears from the reading and research we've done that there's an element of rock and heavy rock in yes. your catalog. Yes. Like some of the clients that, you, that you've worked with, that you've tracked and recorded and produced, they lay down some pretty heavy yes. riffs. How does your work with them compare to how hot he was recording and potentially mastering his well, stuff? Well, I mean, probably 180 degrees difference. No, I mean, I shouldn't mm. say it like that. But, but it, <laughs> it, it, it is different because, you know, um, from how I was taught by the people who taught me, being like the Tuckers and the Colbys and, you know, I was taught that, like clean, get good signal to noise ratio, keep it clean because you could always mess it up later. You know, you can't, <laughs> if you mess it up on the way in, there's not an unmess button. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if you, you know, if you burn chocolate chips into the cookie, there you go. So, um, yeah, yeah, right? So uh, for my school, I like to record as, as clean as I can with very minimal kind of compression kind of an, an EQ alteration going in, right? Because especially today with how great plug-in sound and you could use a gazillion yeah, you of can them. add all um, that later. It's like you could really fine-tune it. And I, I feel like the other thing that really helps you is, you know, you could really, it really helps the arrangement of the song when you really know what's kind of going on. I always find it funny when people record something and then they just, well, I'm going to whip up these drums. And you're like, killer. But there's nothing going against the drums, like bass or guitars, you know. Mm. Um, and you're just kind of like, you have no idea where this where this needs to. <laughs> you're doing all this all work, fit. Yeah. and you might and you might put stuff together and be like, you have to start over, right? So, um, mm. so for me, it's you know, try to do less is more, basically, is what it's coming down to. Get it in there because then mm. you have a better time or easier time to alter something if you need to alter it because it's not already mangled. And then you know, again, as long as it's got vibe to where people can perform which to me usually comes down with like balance or doing stuff on the post side of where the of the recording you know what i mean like if if you need to do something to uh let's again like drums to give them some vibe so the guitar player plays better do it that could all be post pro tools you know yeah. on the tracking day right just put plugins on or if you had a console you know like a paisley like we had a console so you know as stuff was coming back in you know, after the studio machine, after tape, and we'd, you know, I'd be compressing the kick drum and, and the snare and, and the bass and, you know, on the backside to get stuff to hit harder, right? Yeah. Again, to, to kind of give it vibe, right? So it's inspiring. But the amount that I would be putting on the post side of the analog tape 
could get heavy handed, but that would change for every song. But you could always undo, you know? Yeah. So there'd be very kind of like light compression on the way in. On the drums, there was like no compression. It was just basically API, mic pre's, and then we ran them through EQs that were engaged, but weren't doing any type of alteration. You're just kind of running through the circuits. And again, just very light kind of compression to kind of control some peaks. And then on the other side, if something needed to get laid into, then then we would and have no fear about it because mm. you can always go backwards at that point. So, but start with less yeah. is more. I mean, it's funny because so it's, it's, yeah. we just talked to Scotty Scotty Baldwin, who you might know, and mm-hmm. um, he. Um, it's exactly the same line of thought is just keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. That's that's the way to do it. Well, and especially I, f- I feel like there's, there's just a safeness. And, mm. you know, it'd be one thing if you're like, oh, I'm 20 years in and I'm Michael Jackson's and, you know, like I'm Bruce Wedeen for for Michael Jackson. Mm. Right. And, and, and so so, you know, like you really know what Michael wants to hear. Right. You're really in tune with like. Yeah what kind of makes him tick. And you might be able to make some of these decisions on the way in. But for me, dealing with new artists or going out there for the first time and working with him is just like, nope, I'm going to be safe because he might flip on a dime that I don't know about for whatever reason. And he never yeah. really did, but you know, you don't know. I can't see the future. So I'm going to I'm gonna go down my usual safe road <laughs> yeah. and not have problems, which I, I didn't have any problems. So Just really quick, when you were talking about less is more, I was thinking about the, the vocals on this record. We're talking about mm-hmm. 2010, obviously. Prince's lead vocals seem to be drier, is probably the only word I can think of, drier than a lot of the background vocals, which are usually like female mm-hmm. choirs in the background, you know, the ladies singing and adding their flavor. Was that something that you have any recollection of? And if so, was that a conscious decision to really bring the background vocals up and create a more um, ethereal kind of swooping uh, sound? No, I mean, that would be more of on the mix side. Mixing, I mean, yeah. on the recording side, mm-hmm. it, again, it was, you know, for him, it was his, his microphone going into... Um, we had him going into a Great River mic pre into a, I think it was like a Neve 33609 for his, no, it was an LA 2A, sorry. And again, very, very mild. Same thing with like all, all the female vocals, you know? Again, mm-hmm. very clean, nothing really being altered on the way in, you know, just choosing the right mics. I mean, for him, he just has the mic that he uses. Mm. But basically just choosing the right mics and letting it be. So, yeah, if something is more dry or anything, you know, those are all decisions that that he was probably making Mm. uh, after the tracking fact because I didn't burn any of any reverbs or delays that we were using via tracking. You know, none of that was being recorded. You know, it was just 40L or PCM 42. You know what I mean? Like stuff that was just kind of there for flavor, flavor sauce. So anything else was added later, yeah. Just a question on the mic. Like, we know for live stuff, he used to love, like, those Newman mics, but what mic did he like for vocals in the studio? What was his preferred one that he used? He had a C12 mm. in there, and I'm assuming it's what he's always used. I don't know. It was already set up. Like, it's, it literally, it's, got a, it's on a boom stand, and, it's, and the arm comes over the console, and it's... Mm. <laughs> and then when he's not using mm. it, he just moves it to the side, and you know? And because he, oh, he sits... He sits, sits right, right there. there. He sits there. <laughs> and he, the majority of the time, I'd have to say 98% of the time, he's, he's recording his own vocals on tape. Mm. And let me tell you, he is a wizard <laughs> yeah. running a tape machine, much like a Lynn drum machine, because he would have me clean up tracks within Pro Tools um, sometimes, but he would clean up his own vocal tracks. 
via the tape machine and we would literally dead patch his vocal, meaning we're just patching into the vocal slot. So when he arms it and hits record, it's dead silence, right? Yeah. And he would literally just go in between the spaces and listen, arm the track, and then punch in and out of record in between his lines to clean up the vocal yeah. track. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? You yeah. know, I mean, like, we have gates and stuff that can do that, man. <laughs> He's just like, this is what I do, yeah. you know? And you're like, get yeah. You know, uh, but, but he was great. Again, and, you know, he's had a lot of practice. <laughs> he's had a lot of practice. And, and I do have to say, out of, you know, everybody I've, I've been, I feel like I've been privileged enough to work with. He's the one guy that I feel like he just, you know, nothing is precious. Like, there's so many times of like, you know, he might be playing a solo long or something and, and we might snip off the head of the next section, you know, and like he just he wouldn't care. Like he just he just replay that section. <laughs> you know, there's no there's no preciousness of like a lot of times it's like, oh, here's the lead vocal and then something might get recorded over it and then the artist is freaking out because that was the magical take. Right? Like mm, I, I feel yeah. like for him he just mm. He just gave off that vibe anyhow that he was just like, it doesn't matter because he'll just do it better. At least that's the impression I got where you're just like, meh, I'll just do it. it I'll just do it again. <laughs> you're like, killer. It's, <laughs> it's really funny to like, and actually quite interesting to hear you say that because in the Prince fan community, I guess in the, you know, hardcore I know what you're Prince fan say. community, Go. people that really, <laughs> really have been following him for many, many years. There's this impression that gets thrown yep. around a lot that Prince was a perfectionist. You know, he wouldn't accept anything less, this, that, or the other. But the more we peer behind the curtain now and the more people we talk to, and it seems to be become even more and more apparent that he was... Not so much. <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, allegedly someone who was just driven by his spirit and by his muse. Just get and it down on tape, doesn't matter how. <laughs> in the day and, and do it, right? So it's very, very intriguing. It, it, I think it depends on what people are defining as perfection. Like, I mean, again... We had the album demoed in, in four days, and then we spent five months going through and, and, and replacing parts, right? So, there, so there, I feel like there is a certain level of perfection. But I feel like if, if people are, are assuming it's like an analytical style of perfection and like, oh, well, this note is, you know, that I didn't really see. I feel like the perfection line, right, was coming from his inner energy and, and how something would strike him. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's, I mean, I mean, there's so many times like we'd be doing like piano solos and every one of them was ripping. Mm. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Fluff. You got to take me back to the top of that solo. I'm so sorry. You know? <laughs> and then you do it again. And I'd be like, and I just, and I'm sitting there like goosebumps. Cause I'm like, dude, he's killing it right now. He's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and, and you do it right. So, so there's this level of like perfection in the means of he's trying to get it to where it's striking his chord the way he wants it to. It's almost there. <laughs> but he's not doing it in like a very, again, a very mental, analytical way of like, huh, you think I could have rushed that that fifth note right there? Like, uh, you know, would he no, give it more? It's all about like, no. how it he feels. Would just play. Yeah. yeah, he would just play. And again, you know, like sometimes like he would, doing his vocals, he would end up racing another vocal line. <laughs> And he wouldn't care. He would just redo it. And, you know, there'd be times where he's just like, well, can you pitch that? Can you correct that with, like, Melodyne or something? And I'm like, yeah. And then I'd be loading up the program. He's like, nah, I'll just sing it again. You know, like, (laughs) killer job just got easier, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like he was a perfectionist and that he demanded perfection from people around him. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't, there wasn't really room for for mistakes, right? You just had to be on top of the game, including him. I felt like he put himself underneath that same 
thing that he puts other people under. But mm. the perfection in him was coming from a different thing because, again, it's I feel like it's all about vibe and energy yeah. with him and less of a technical, like, I feel like everything in his music, I feel like, doesn't need to be perfectly to a grid and doesn't need to be perfectly in tune all the time and doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like... Yeah. Prince is the type of guy that he, he cares about more of how his music is connecting with said audience yeah. versus is this technically perfect and is yeah. some other artist going to judge me? Like, mm. like, he didn't care about any of that, you know? Like, yeah. he didn't care. And that's the other thing I really dug about working with him. He didn't care what the market was dictating. He's doing him, which I'm just like, God, I wish more people would just do that instead of, like, following the trends, you know, they yeah. are just, you know, he made music. He made his music. Didn't care what was the what was number one at the time. He didn't try to like, he didn't do any of that. He came up with an idea and he, he recorded it, you know. Yeah, the thing I find interesting about that as well is that I think we'd all be in agreement that, yeah, he followed his own, his own vibe and what he wanted to get out there. So even using 2010 album as an example, but at the same time, he's thinking, I've got to make this hot so that when it gets played in the club, you know, mm. it's, it's banging, quote yeah. unquote. But the reality is, and a bit of an irony, is that really this isn't the sort of stuff that at that stage in his career was getting played in clubs no. that much. So, I mean, this is not necessarily a direct question for you unless you want to comment on it, but it was more an observation. It's kind of ironic, you know, that someone in the latter part of his career is still thinking, I've got to make this, I've got to Bang make it. this, you know, really <laughs> hit on the dance floor. I don't know, that's happening, Prince. You know, mm. like, it's just, <laughs> you're not a, it's a different day. But just in case it did get played, it has to sound good. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I feel like, and again, I mean, I can't speak for the dude, right? But, I mean, I, I guess I feel yeah. like on, on the song level, he, he wrote his songs. He didn't follow any trends of like, oh, there's like this weird Melodyne mm. effect now or whatever, 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 right? But at the same time, he wanted things to sound good and he wanted things to be quote unquote hot, you know, so obviously they can compete. I don't really know if I know anybody other than if you're playing jazz that goes, Hey, we're going to go in and make a, let's make this record and we want to make it as weak as possible. Oh, really? Like <laughs> song wise or sonically? No, songs are going to be great, but sonically, <laughs> let's make it weak as possible. Right. So, um, cause you know, I mean, his studio is equipped with, banging speakers and you know like i mean he wants to feel it and trust me it gets really loud in studio loud. A when yeah. he's got those subwoofers going and you're just like i remember the first i mean i remember walking in once and he just boom an act of god came on and it was so loud <laughs> and he had all of his equipment set up so i had to like walk in between the speakers in the back of the console and i'm just like this sucks <laughs> like my ears hurt you know I'm plugging my ears and just like and he, he's sitting there loving it <laughs> um, so I mean there's, there's a certain impact he wants to feel right there's a certain impact so I don't know if that answers the question but yeah yeah that's uh, that's my take on it and yeah just going back a bit you just talked about how long you worked on the tracks like everyone talks about how fast Prince worked so what would you say was the average time that you worked on a track like some like from starting recording to until it was done? Um, very hard to tell, my friend. Because I suppose all the mixing came later, but just the recording. Well, mixing part came of it, later, yeah. but like, you know, I mean, he, he worked. He, there's a lot of bouncing around. Mm. So, like a lot of records that you know I've made or whatever, you know, we kind of like, oh, here's the first song, and you kind of like work that up to a certain degree. 
right? Yeah. And then you might move on to the next one. And then you kind of, all of a sudden, your album's done, right? With him, it was kind of like, I mean, after we had, like, the, 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 the demo stuff kind of done, you know, it, there was a lot of, like, bouncing around. And I don't know why it was happening other than him just being like, I want to work on this now. And then I'd change, the, swap the tape out, and we'd be, <laughs> we'd be on another song. And you'd be like... You know, on a different track. Put, yeah, yeah put, putting down the guitar and now picking up the bass and, and laying bass down or replacing bass or, you know, like, so there's just a lot of bouncing around. Mm. So I couldn't really tell you, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we started mm. on Compassion day one, September 2009, and then that yeah. went for two weeks, right? It, it, it was really not like that. It was all over the place. <laughs> yeah, kind of like what, you know, a lot of records are now like in Pro Tools because you have that kind of ability, right, with instantaneous recalls. So yeah. it was just kind of like, boom, now we're over here, boom. So that was another part of the gig of like trying to like keep up with that. And so when he plays something, he's playing how it was heard <laughs> the last time he mm. heard it. So you're witnessing a lot of this creative process on the fly. Is he creating the songs there on the spot or are they bought in or is it, was it in those four days or like how that, is the- that I don't know. All I know is when we first started, he started with the Lynn drum machine and he laid down the majority of the Lynn stuff right away. And then he was just kind of like going through. And I remember one time when he was doing vocals in the very beginning of vocals, I asked him if he wants like lyric sheets printed up. And I remember he just looked at me <laughs> and he goes, it's all, it's all in my head. I'm like, yeah. copy you. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go have a coke and a smile. Um, but uh, uh, you know. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, like there were no other like demo forms or anything. Like from what he just came in and literally without mm. any type of guide, he just started playing the little drum machine and he'd be laying down these different songs and all of a sudden he'd be laying down bass. And, you know. And I don't know if it was like this vision of like, I have these 10 songs and that's what these are doing. Or if it's just like, I kind of have 10 rough ideas and then they're just growing to the final product. There was no real conversations about any of that. I mean, quite frankly, I didn't really know what any of the song titles were until yeah. I mean, cause they're all like working, working titles. And uh, like when we talked to Morris, Morris Hayes, he said like a similar thing. It's like, all these songs are like they're in Prince's head. All he's got to do is like get them out and yeah. onto the tape. Yeah. So that's just that just blows your mind right there. That it's you know the songs are done. They're in his head. He's yeah. just got to get it out. <laughs> well, I, I, I you know one, one time because when we we're out there, um, when I was out there in the very beginning, um, Studio B wasn't really running right. And I remember he wanted to you know get that fixed and and. And that kind of led into this conversation of possibly opening opening up Paisley again to the public for like higher end artists, for example, like if Justin Bieber mm. wanted to make a record at Paisley, he would allow that, right? Which is something which is just happening again right now. They're talking about getting people back in there recording. That's just come. Oh, out I mean, I th- days, you know, yeah. that, I mean, that would make me super happy because I feel like that's something that he would he would want music to be made. It's a waste to have all that stuff just sitting there and nothing. Yeah. I, I just remember, like, talking with him about the whole opening it up versus not opening it up, you know? And I, I recollect him one time just stating that, you know, I have a song in my head and I need to lay it down mm. or, or I'll lose it and it might be my, my next big hit. And, I, and I, on an artist level, I totally understand that. But then if someone else is in that studio, yeah, then he can't get yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, and he can't get in there. And there's been multiple people, and I'm sure you've all heard stories of X comes in and X mm-hmm. 
is leaving because he needs yeah. the room, right? Yep. <laughs> and, and and again, on the artist side, I mean, I, I, I totally get it. And trust me, there, is, there are times when all of a sudden it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm driving out to Paisley because he, he needs to lay something down. But And to me, that was, all that was like exciting, you know? You're like, here we go, you know? Let's, let's, see, let's see what he has. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it would be be re- be really great if they do if they do open it up. I mean, I haven't I haven't been in there for a hot minute, so I, I don't even know what kind of changes or alterations have been made to the complex. But it's mighty awesome, and if if it was allowed to people to get in there and, and make music again, I think that would be that'd be really great because I think he'd be I think he'd be totally into it, you know, because he was really on just the art of of creating. You know, I mean, he really was. So I think you'd be totally supportive of it. I want to get some personal indulgence in terms of talking about the specific songs. Probably my favorite song on the album is Sticky Like Glue. Killer. Uh, such a slick and funky. just Super groups. funky album, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, overall, overall it's yeah. like, mm. what? Yeah. yeah, Sticky Like Glue is great. And I know we were talking before about, you know, where these songs brought in. Did he already have them in his head? And I remember some of the lyrics for the Sticky Like Glue were already, like, published in the London photo book he put out a year or two earlier mm-hmm. um can you give us any insight into the recording of sticky like glue Oof. quite frankly it all, it's, 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 only, it, it's only 10 years it, ago <laughs> yeah, I mean, no yeah. i mean no it, it just i you know i mean it all they all basically started the same you know i mean it, it literally was just the process of him laying down the beat and getting the overall kind of structure and then us going through and either replacing parts or revamping structure or something right but the main idea was was like always there like like the funky guitar and stuff like that was there from the very mm. beginning you know after 10 years i mean it's kind it's kind of hard and especially yeah. how how we bounced around a lot but i do remember this is another thing i thought that was very interesting um and i don't think this is his norm but maybe it is but i i, I do remember that like we didn't use any amps at all <laughs> it's all just straight like, in like it was all his guitar straight into like just different pedals, straight into an API mic pre, straight into the tape machine. <laughs> and I always remember being like, wow. And he had a bunch of amps that are out there, you know? But I always remember like we never used any of them. We never set up any of that and don't know the rhyme or reason for it, but. He loved all these pedals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it sounded dope, you know? I'm just like, wow, yeah. here we go. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I do remember like that kind of stuff, but as far as like song Pacific, yeah. I don't. Um, I do remember the day he came in and we were working on endlessly, and he he put in that that counter melody line <laughs> in uh, that yeah, song, yeah. and I remember being like, "Damn, <laughs> there it is," you know. Um, but yeah, as far as Sticky Lake Lou, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I totally don't remember really specifics other than he just, just flowed out of them. On the you idea know? that. Yeah, you've done the the demos in a few days. How different was the final product compared to those original demos? Is it basically just not really that different? It was, it was, you know, maybe an arrangement might change, but for the most part, yeah. it was literally just like, you know, defining the actual overall performances and defining kind of sounds. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was like we'd have it going, and then he'd be like, "I want to redo this this guitar." and then kind of get a new sound, you know, that, that he was into at the moment. And then, you know, we re-record it and replace it. And being the majority of it happening on analog, I'm just like, that was the other thing of him just, nothing is precious. Like he would just record over <laughs> what that was. Just like, here we go. And you're like, killer. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. 
It's not like Pro Tools. That's the other thing. In Pro Tools, he always he always had me run it in destructive record. You know, I don't know if you guys know much about Pro Tools, but there's two modes. One's destructive and one is undestructive. And undestructive gives you unlimited, or not unlimited, but undoes. Yeah, Where destructive undoes, yeah. is... You punch in on something. It's gone. There it is. Yeah, there's there's no um, there's no undoes. And that was another thing I remember him always saying. There's no playlist. There's no, you know what I mean? In my experience of recording, like you end up just having way too many options. Like if you do 20 takes and you're listening yeah. back to 20 takes, you go, which one's my favorite? Well, I like this. Yeah. Bit. And it just gets yeah. too, many, like, too many options. And yeah. it, so maybe it is just good to go, we're recording and we're recording over it. If you think, you know, you need That's to it. do that, then do <laughs> well, it. Well, he, can, not, you know, obviously he comes from it. a very... <laughs> analog tape mentality, you know what I mean? And basically Pro Tools was just a, an extension of that. So, yeah, I mean, he just didn't care. He didn't. <laughs> and I was just like, God, oh, what a great place to be as far as a musician to where you don't literally have zero fears of making a mistake or whatever because you'll just do it better <laughs> the next take, you know? Um, I just want one more question about, um, we interviewed Shelby J a couple of months ago as well, mm -hmm. and she was telling us about uh, that Prince gave her a lot of creative freedom in constructing a lot of the background vocals for the 2010 yes. album or, or songs from that era. You touched on it a little bit earlier. So were you there for the we were recording the female vocals, the backing vocals as well, and, and, and maybe yes. any other non-Prince parts? So you were in charge of getting all that down as well? Or, was, or were they kind of doing that separate and then you just get the No, no, so. I mean, no, they, they, they all came out to Paisley. And that was another thing that was just like, wow, which is actually really kind of inspiring to me, you know, to see him do that. Yeah, they basically come out and, you know, he'd say, hey, I want them to do background vocals on these songs. And, you know, we basically put up the song and then he would leave. And I'd be like, what's happening? Does anybody <laughs> know what's going on? And then we're just, you know, they'd be like, uh, and so we just start playing. And then, you know, they would start coming up with parts and we start laying them down. And then, you know, he'd come in later and listen and he liked it and anything that he didn't like which wasn't really often then he'd just have him change it and you know then they'd re-sing it and you know but yeah what she said is very true like massive freedom artistic freedom that mm. um he would give like he didn't like hang over anybody i mean even as far as the engineering other than him saying he wanted it hot he didn't really care what i ran anything through you know what i mean he's like you do that that's you I don't care mm. what you do as long as it sounds good. So it was like the same thing with them, you know? He's like, I just, you know, I want background parts. Then he would leave, and then they would basically come up and come up with their parts and produce themselves, and I would just record them. And then he would come in and, yep, you know? So, which I thought that was, like, really awesome because I, prior to that, I guess I thought that he would be way more of a, a control factor. Exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's I the perception. I... That's the big perception. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and he really wasn't. You know, the one, the one thing is, like, I do have to say, he just really surrounded himself with, like, really talented musicians. Like, I mean, he really did. And I, and I feel like to be on that side with him going in and making recordings and, and contributing with him, musically speaking, you know, he obviously loves what you do and trusts you to give you that freedom or you probably wouldn't be there, quite frankly. <laughs> mm. But yeah, he didn't really control any of that. He totally let people just do do them. And then, you know, again, if there's something that rubbed him wrong, then it, you'd get addressed. But the majority of the time, boom, he'd be like, cool. And then we'd just be well. moving on. <laughs> kind of same thing with like Moe's parts. You know, Moe would send in parts. I'd get them on a, a DVD, you know, blank DVD. And 
oh, here's most parts, mm. you know, and <laughs> maybe a couple times like we might edit something or whatever, but you know, it's like, oh, here we go. So yeah, it was very interesting to see that because I know other clients that I've worked with, they definitely have full reign of what's being laid down, you know. Yeah, I want this and I want it just like this. Yeah. yeah. And he was just like, I just need background vocals. And then he would he would leave and go to his office or oh, come that's back funny. like three hours later and <laughs> I hear it, you know. So again, it's like the perception versus what reality is, mm, you know. Yeah. So it was very interesting. I mean, it was very interesting to kind of go through that process with him just to see like how he does it, you know what I mean? And how he, he does put a lot of trust in people. He, I mean, he really does, you know. Well, like you said, when you get that level of talented people around you, you can trust what they're going to yeah. do is not going to be awful. Yeah. So you can no. give them that freedom, yeah. Yeah. And I do have to say, it's like, he's very much like a, a, a general. <laughs> you know, yeah. and maybe somebody else has probably said that on this podcast before, but <laughs> he, he very much is like a general and yeah, that's the Prince yeah. Army. <laughs> it's the Prince Army. And, and trust me, by the time you, you make it through the other side, you are just better. doesn't matter yep. if you're a guitar player, drummer, Pro Tools opera. And, you know, it's like, I mean, he does. You know what I mean? And I say that, and I had a really great experience with him. Like, I don't really have anything negative to say, you know? Yeah, just about everyone yeah. says that same thing. It's like just by being around him makes you better. Yeah, it just makes you better. Everyone well, says I mean, that. He's so inspiring to be around. A, you see how he's doing it, and you're going like, wow. Yeah. And, you know, that, again, just like he's all gut, no head, you know, where you're like, what? Mm. You know, and, you, and you're seeing this all <laughs> kind of go down, and he's very inspiring, and, 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 he, and he's on such a level of musicianship that he just inspires you to just want to be up there and want, you know, it's just like there's just this thing about it where it's just like, again, you know, you might be the janitor out there but you're going to be the best janitor that he's ever seen. <laughs> and it's not because that's what he's demanding. It's just like, you just get that aura of like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, here we go. Like, like sweeping, yeah. sweeping up Paisley Park Studios while beginning endlessly blasts in the background. <laughs> and groove on and it's all happening. <laughs> you know, but it is, it's, it's very I inspiring. And, and he does, you know, I mean, he wants the best and he, and he demands the best, but he's, he doesn't, at least I have never seen it go about it in a very rude kind of mean way you know he's all please and thank yous and you know he always made sure i was fed and if we're going long hours you know he'd have the chef make me food and i always had what you know like he was just very like mm. accommodating to keep keep the flow going and that was another Were you thing gonna say waffles like, then or pancakes <laughs> no but you know no. he never he never made me any pancakes but he did uh. on multiple occasions make me chocolate chip cookies Ah, oh, there that, you that, go. That, that was the thing. Oh, and I remember cool. one time nice. he scooped. He, branching out. he scared me. He literally, it was like three <laughs> o'clock in the morning and I was like doing some editing and, you know, you don't hear him walking around. Yeah, like he's he like just, a mouse. He's, he just appears behind you. Oh, like, like seriously. Yep. He literally just appears. And I remember he just like, he's down right in my ear and I didn't even see him. And he's just like, yep. would you like some cookies? And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> He's like, would you like some chocolate chip cookies? I'm like, sure, killer. You know, and he's like, cool. And then he's just gone. You're just like, this is bizarre. And I'm just back to editing. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was Bria at the time, you know, shows up yeah. like an hour later. It's like 4.30 in the morning, wearing this red gown, holding this plate of like 30 chocolate chip cookies <laughs> with a large <laughs> bottle of Fiji water. And she's just like, Dude said you wanted some cookies. I'm just like, 
<laughs> yep. You know, grab the cookies and you know what I mean. So it's like, like there would be like funny things like that for sure. You know, and and there would be like some tense moments for sure. You know, especially like when gear wasn't working right or, or something. You know, in in those kind of scenarios where he's feeling like super creative and and it's being hindered by technology, right? Um, but yeah, I don't really have any bad kind of stories. You know, it's usually we'd finish however long the day was, and then. I remember getting in my car every night, blasting Metallica, just being like, <laughs> that happened today. <laughs> I remember like yeah. every night I left there being like, that happened. <laughs> yeah. And not like in a bad way of just like, he made me chocolate chip cookies. Nobody's going to fucking believe this. Oops. I don't know if I can say that, but um, you might want to believe that. Um, but there's multiple moments of, of just stuff like that where I'm like, what? <laughs> what is going on right now? Killer. <laughs> do you have any yeah. other stories like that? Do you play basketball? Oh, yeah. Any, like, no, I, no, no, I never played basketball. But a guy that used to engineer for me, Evan, he went out there. He was there after me. And he did, I can't, I think he did like hit and run one and two. I think he was the uh, engineer for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he did play ping pong with them. But I, my, my funny stories are, are not, uh. you know, not like sports related. My funny stories are. <laughs> him, 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 I, well, I mean, some of them I don't yeah. want to say. Some of them I just want to kind of keep for myself, right? Yeah. But no, that, but, I, but I, I do remember yeah. one time that he and I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But he he comes in one day and and, and we're working and he he stops he stops the, the tape machine and he swings his chair right. <laughs> He's looking mm. at me and he asks me point blank, "Do you believe in Jesus?" <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember being like, yeah, I'm getting fired, you know? <laughs> you know, and then I told him, I'm like, well, no. <laughs> and then I remember it just got to be, you know, because he doesn't really have a lot of facial expressions. I mean, mm. he does when he's like he's performing, right? But he's like either either he's in a good mood or he's kind of just, you know, kind of this complacent look right um yeah. and he just kind of just like looking at me and he's like can you explain so i told yeah. him i told him i was buddhist <laughs> and i told him you know this whole story of how i became that way and you know and uh and then it, and then it was good it was harmonious and he totally accepted it you know and uh he didn't no, try good. to push religion on me uh, you know or anything you know and he, you know he's and he's very actually intrigued you know, by Buddhism and stuff, you know? So, but it was, uh, it was just one of those of just, I remember leaving there being like, wow, that could have ended really <laughs> differently, but, it, but it didn't, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. he's, I, I, he's a very smart dude. Like that's another thing. I don't know if people realize how intelligent he is. Like I feel he's very smart and he doesn't open conversation doors without knowing what he's talking about. You know, mm-hmm. like he doesn't really BS his way through that. At least through the conversations I've had, you know, with him where I feel like he's very well informed. But yeah, that was, you know, there's there's those stories. <laughs> well, you don't. I mean, you don't need to believe in Jesus when he's recording an album like 2010, oh. right? Because although m- many people may not maybe peer behind the curtain of the lyrics, there are some subtle, and others will, there are some subtle references to mm-hmm. religion, spirituality. I mean, he uses the word yep. God a number of times. The title has has long been a source of uh, rumor and speculation and gossip within the Prince fan community. I wonder if any of that came up. Uh, no, I mean, not really. 
I mean, we didn't really, okay. other than that conversation, we didn't really like talk religion or talk about what said songs are about per se, you know, mm. I pretty much just let it, <laughs> I didn't really inquire, you know, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. Probably um, but yeah, I mean, I know that he's, he's a very spiritual person, you know, which I am. So, I mean, I think, I think for sure that we were definitely on the same, same page as far as that goes. And, you know, there would be times where we would talk about stuff like that. And again, he's mm. he's very intelligent and very insightful and, and he's, he's, he's really cool. And there are definitely times when you leave those conversations being like, you know, I just had a conversation about this with dude. <laughs> like, time, to, time to blast the yeah, like just <laughs> And you just sit there like staring at, you know, yourself in the mirror being like, Wow. I just had that conversation. <laughs> like, I never would have thought ever, you know? And I guess I never would have thought he ever would have made me cookies. But there you mm-hmm. go. <laughs> well, going from the sound of something like Metallica or even some of the funky uh, sounds on 2010, going from that sort of music to something quite different, Walk in Sand, mm-hmm. Sea of Everything. When I think about those songs, they are quite a stark contrast to the rest yeah. of the record, right? They're more yeah. organic more dynamic sounding. It's like I'm imagining him playing live in the studio, probably on drums, bass, and all, all other instruments. What were your recollections of those types of songs and well, recording what, those, you know, in contrast to the, the really, you know, the tight, stuff, snappy yeah. stuff? Yeah, well, I remember, like, Walk in Sand was, like, an older song that was already started. Uh, okay. that, that that we grabbed the reel and pulled up, and, and he just kind of started updating it. And, again, it was just, you know, those were, I guess, like, the ballady stuff, for the most part, minus... Oh, I forget the name of it. C. C of everything. everything. Some of those were already previously started, I think. When, I don't know. I don't remember what the the analog tape obviously says at this point. But, like, I know Walk and Sand was basically done. And all we did on that song was, I think we did, like, some new cymbal overdubs. And we got new vocals from Morris. And what else do we do? And I think he laid down a new lead vocal. Besides that, uh, most of that instrumentation, if my recollection is correct, basically stayed what was already on the multi-track. You know, we just kind of updated it. It was already pretty much done. Sea of Everything, again, that was that, that guy was kind of from scratch, but our overall recording setup didn't really change. You know what I mean? Like, he just stayed in his realm and was spinning around in his chair and laying down whatever he wanted to lay down to that certain moment in time. Honestly, there wasn't mm. no no vibes. I mean, there's a couple times, actually, I remember like in the middle of making the album that, you know, we would stop and, and do, do other songs. Um, mm. One song, I think, got released. I think I got released prior to 2010 coming out. Um, and then he did like, I don't know if you guys remember that song, Purple and Gold song you did yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> how could we you can, yeah. we can move beyond that if <laughs> we try yeah yeah i mean i don't i mean i don't even i don't know if i even i don't even <laughs> yeah like that one probably goes down as did, one did he of actually the, explain yeah what what he was thinking did he explain what he was what what the thought process was with that particular song because it's very yeah. different to everything yeah. in this catalog. That, that, that. And the, the fans didn't really ra- no. react positively. I mean, again, like, I'm a very private kind of a dude, you know, and I don't really do any <laughs> interviews. <laughs> so I don't know how much information I, I should really in, <laughs> indulge. But, 
Uh, he's a big sports fan, you know, yeah. um, and he's a big Viking yeah. fan. Yeah. And, you know, the, the short story of it is he came in one day and he's like, we're stopping the album. And I'm like, uh-oh, you know, <laughs> thinking worst good. case scenario. <laughs> he's like, we're stopping the album because I had a vision last night. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. okay. And he basically said, we're going to write a Vikings theme song. I'm, okay. I'm like, okay. He goes, thank queen. And I'm going like, and in my brain, I'm going like, oh, shit. We're going to do like a <laughs> we will rock you. This is wow. going to be sick. You know, and I got super stoked, man. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> yes. And then, um, you know, fast forward and, you know. It is what it is. It gets played. But it is. Um, and, you know, it, it was less we will rock you and more something like we are the champions, you know, <laughs> I guess as far as Queen is concerned. Yeah. You know, which is literally <laughs> my favorite band of all time. But but yeah, when he said it, I literally jumped out of the chair. I was like super, I was super stoked. I was super <laughs> stoked and I was, super, you know, to where you're just like. I, I can't really talk about it, but there's a song, as, <laughs> you know, yeah. because, you know, I didn't really <laughs> talk so about. It was so exciting at the start, and then, yeah, after it was I, done, it, I was like, super okay. jacked. <laughs> I, was, I was super jacked. And, and when I was out there, very, you know, um, I was thinking, again, I was thinking, it's like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be, you know, at the time, there's the Metrodome, mm. and there's going to be like this. Again, I was thinking Prince kind of doing we'll, We Will Rock You, you know, and it's like he's going to have this this song that's going to be being played before they come out, and like, you know, it's going to be like an amp song, not yeah. a song, mm. of, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, and, you know, the Vikings in, in his, you know, I think where he was coming at, the Vikings were almost a shoe in for the Super Bowl that year. Yeah. You know, to be the winners, you know. I mean, they were just, they were dominating. And, you know, he would go, you know, almost every Sunday, he would actually go down and watch the game. And, and you know, and then we'd meet up in the studio after. And, and, you know, so I think for him, you know, he wanted to write the song. So if that was the case, here's mm. his contribution, right? But as Earth knows, it wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, the jam I had in my head. So it wasn't the jam of the year. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing mm. is, I'd say maybe half of Prince fans at the time didn't know that it was like related to the Vikings. They just thought he'd put out this song for some reason. Yeah, the only and without, was without linking it to the Vikings, it's just not a great song. But when you link it to the Vikings, you're like, oh, okay, I can see what he was. What it was doing. Yeah, it, it, was it starts to for. make sense. It starts to yeah. make more sense than if it's like a standalone single. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> um, and, and I do That's remember it. some people were at the studio and he walked out and it was being played and, and they were like, what is this? Yeah. And then, you know, and I'm just like, I don't know, I've never heard it before. <laughs> you know, I just some ideas. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> I got to track hey, that. That's yep. it. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. I know we're it's not on the resume. Al <laughs> <laughs> I know we're talking almost 10 years ago, but from the tracks you worked on that got on this album, do you recall any which were significantly edited down from, because we know Prince records like, you know, 10, 15 minute versions of songs and then cuts them down to four minutes. Do you have any memories of that happening? Um... I don't know. None of that happened here. Uh, it was uh, all. I mean, I mean, any of any of the uh, let's say the fat 
that needed to get sliced off as far as a song arrangement goes happened extremely, extremely early. Because again, you know, every day I would make him a CD that would have either the same sequence with different crossfades or a different, like constantly. That was the one thing that I saw that I never saw before is kind of, you know, he had this vision of the overall album. You know, he was definitely the forest over the trees type of a guy in that regard. So a lot of that was already kind of like figured out in the very first couple weeks, you know, nothing month three, nothing really got reworked as far as that kind of arrangement. You know, there might be, you know, well, we're going to move this section to here now and kind of flip a couple sections around, right? But the, yeah. the time length would basically stay the same. So, I mean, there, there. I mean, mm-hmm. other than uh, the Miss, uh, you know, Purple and Gold, that was mm. actually longer <laughs> than what it came out oh, as. I, no, I don't even think that you could, out on a longer version of that. Yeah, and, and I don't even know <laughs> if you could find it. Like, I don't have a copy of it because I know mm. that it was kind of released and then it was kind of on the internet. But now I don't. I don't. I mean, I think it's. I mean, maybe one day it's going to come out in one of the one, one of the one of the vault. Well, yeah, stuff to look forward yeah. to in the vault. Yeah, great. <laughs> Make sure you get my name I can, right. I can send no. you a copy if you want it. Do you have a copy of it? <laughs> Man, yeah, Purple yeah. Gold is getting. Yeah, I mean, I would love to have it just just uh, just for you know nostalgia's sake. Yeah, I'll, I'll um, send it to you. Because there's, I mean, you know, <laughs> there there was a bunch of songs that 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 we did that, and I mean, he had one song, and now this is kind of getting off 2010, right? But well, this so is my next it. question, so just hang but on a, one second. Okay, <laughs> killer. <laughs> Okay, here you go. Look, from memory, do you remember working on any tracks which didn't make it onto the album? Were there songs you worked on that, you know, they're sitting in the, well, you know, Iron Mountain vault now? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, but but again, it's, and it's not like they're necessarily throwaways. So, like, the songs that ended up on the album were 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 the 10 songs from the original demoing yeah. right and, th- and then there'd be times like purple and gold or some of these other ones where he all of a sudden he'd have another idea and we'd switch gears but that idea wasn't necessarily meant to be on this album like the vision of the album was already in his yeah. brain i'm guessing right is already you know there's a foundation to that so anytime he'd come up with an, uh, another idea going back to what we talked about earlier of him not wanting to lose that idea we would stop gears and then he would lay something something down Right. And and take it as far as you could take it at that point in time. And then it would come off the board and we'd go back to the album at hand. So did you track the song Rich Friends? Because that was one of the songs that came out like just an Internet song that came out around the same time as the 2010 album. No, there's no the song that I did before 20. I forget what it was called. I want to say like not common sense, but like cause and effect. Cause and effect. Yeah. Because that came out like right before. Yes. Was that it? Ah, so you, you're, we're talking okay. Chris Coleman and Tal Wilkenfeld now. Ooh, I think so. I think I think I, I I remember like pulling that up. I didn't track that whole thing, but I remember like being there and doing some. I think he did like some like bass stuff. You're not talking about Hot no. Summer by any chance, are you? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think so because I mean, again, most of the time, I you know, the, the titles were just pull up this one and then you're like trying to figure mm. out which one he's talking about because he didn't necessarily mm. have like oh this song is called compassion yeah. <laughs> you're just like i think this one's called compassion yeah. because he keeps on saying it <laughs> you <Yeah>. know um <laughs> but i i do remember there's a handful of songs that that were just very s- super aggressive and i'm talking like 
endorphin machine. Oh, wow. Like very, because he was like a very, you know, a lot of people don't really know this. And I don't know if it was just at that point in his life or whatever, but he, he listened to a lot of like Rage Against the Machine. Like oh, there you you, go. You, you, you'd hear wow. him listening to that. And the other thing that like, you know, there, there are times when he'd be up in the salon and he'd be literally playing along with Master of Puppets. Oh, excellent. Because <laughs> he had like he had Marshall stacks up in the salon. Yeah. So he'd be getting his hair done and he's just <laughs> you know, he's oh, just like, is what excellent. is you know, and you just what? <laughs> Remember like looking at his That is probably the most mind blowing yeah. thing. <laughs> so but but he was he was so he was a pretty good rage fan, you know what I mean? And there's a couple songs that were kind of I mean they weren't rage. I mean they're still prince, right? But they just kinda had like some of like that bash that bashing, that bashability about them where yeah. you kinda mm-hmm. tell that like it's kind of like that, you know, like a song like Endorphin Machine is more of just kind of a harder-edged kind of a rock print song. That's mm. really interesting because like Rage Against the Machine, they have that little bit of funk in them. Like, yes, they're they rock in there, but there's just that little bit of rock, the funk. Super groove. You can just see Prince doing yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, you know, again, he, I mean, he loved the funk and he, and he loved the groove and, and that rhythm section in Rage is, man, just super pocket. Like, those guys are so good. Timmy C and Brad Wilkes, Wow. Like hot stuff, Maynard, and then obviously you get Tom Morello on top of that, and and you know, but yeah, great. Like those are really great musicians, you know. And he just—that's what you really—that's what attracts him to people, you know. Like you'd be out there and you'd be flying all these other people in that he wants to play with, you know. And I think that's why, because he sees them for you know the talent that they are, and I think he wants to just old school, just jam. And have fun and not, mm. and just play, play with other people. It sounds like when you say play with other people, it, it sounds like possibly cause and effect. If that's, the, if we're talking about the right song here. Yeah, which we might not be, but I think uh, it's, I think was, it's that one. <laughs> which it might not be. But if it is cause and effect, allegedly it was a drummer by the name of Chris Coleman and uh, Aussie bass player Tal Wilkenfeld on those sessions. So I guess... Song title aside, do you remember tracking Chris Coleman and Tal on bass and drums? Oh, do you know what? Chip? I think that might have been Larry on bass on that track. Larry Graham? I think it was Larry I Graham. Do you was, remember that? Yeah. No. I mean, Larry Graham was out there, but I never recorded him. Maybe oh, okay. that wasn't the song. Hmm. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, I can't. Because that was going to be... The only reason I'm, um, I'm mentioning those two names is that that was going to be one of my questions later on, which was around 2010, and we don't know specific, mm-hmm. a specific week or month, but allegedly they... They, those two jammed with Prince for oh. a period of time. So we're wondering. Yeah, whether, that, that yeah. I don't know. I mean, I do remember like pulling up a song and I, I'm, God, I'm pretty sure it's cause and effect. But and, and we, we just did like touch ups, but 90 percent of it was pretty much done, you know. It's already so done. but that was like we already started the album, though. So I guess I guess I need to see like when that when that single was released, quite frankly, to see if it's the right song effect. or not. Um, it was actually it came out February 2010 and it was allegedly recorded January 2010 so that's a really quick turnaround to a release yeah yeah then maybe maybe that wasn't me because then I would have I would have been definitely would have been the one that would have recorded those drums if it, if it was a part of the sessions I was doing or are, the, are those dates are wrong <laughs> yeah maybe mm. like we said there's not that much information about this era but yeah. I wonder if those, those hard yeah. you know rockier songs that you're talking about they could have been part of 
after 2010, there was going to be an album called Welcome to America, which never eventuated. So maybe that's where those songs were planned for. Yeah, that's yeah, why I mean, we've never heard them. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's very, as you guys know, he's very notorious of just... In the vault. Just <laughs> Change boom, my mind. vault, boom, <laughs> vault. That's why I was actually pretty shocked that very first day when he's like, you know, we're making a record and, and we just started. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> okay, I guess I'm going to be here for like six months. Killer. Because I just heard, you know, just stories basically from other people, you know, like Tucker and those guys where, you know, he'll just be like doing songs. Like he's constantly like recording and then he'll grab some of those said songs and all of a sudden you have an album, you know? So I went out there thinking that he needs a guy for a day, maybe a week, you know, Mm. (laughs) not like, Oh, I'm going to be here for a while. But yeah, I guess, I guess I don't know. I mean, it'd be really interesting to see if, if when any of that material or if I should say, if and or when oh, any of that material yeah. comes out. Because there's definitely yeah. some jams that are in there. There's definitely some mad jams. Yeah, when we spoke we, we spoke to him in, when was it, October. Captain? October 2010. Yeah. yeah, so Prince actually flew us out to New York to meet with him, catch up oh, and nice. have a chat. And as we were doing that, yeah, he, he told us about a possible, well, not possible, he said it was actually <laughs> planned for planned to come out, 2010 Deluxe. Yep, yeah, I heard which that too. Which was going to be, a yeah, like a two two disc or two CD set and you know, Rich Friends was going to be on there potentially among other songs. So my question to you was, did you work on, obviously you worked yeah. on other material, but did you work on, you know, 2010 Deluxe in any form? Not, not that he knows of. Was, was it <laughs> I, mean, not, I mean, again, nothing yeah. to know of. I mean, I, you know, I mean, we did more than 10 songs because, again, we'd be stopping because he'd just get an idea. So I, I guess without hearing what those songs would be or possibly seeing titles and trying to put memory together if, if I recognize it, you know, I mean, I guess some of maybe that whole batch that was being done ended up being the 2010 Deluxe or, could have been it, you know, yeah. or that stuff was being recorded um, later after a tour break or, or, or whatnot, you know, so that I don't know. I guess I'd need to see like what that track listing would be. But I, I did hear a rumor of that, like right away that like, he was going to release a 2010 Deluxe, and then it, it never, never never came to happened. light. Don't worry about that. I'm still thinking of him replacing um, Kirk Hammett's uh, guitar parts. In <laughs> oh, well, I mean, he wasn't replacing anything. He was basically playing along, right? But 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 it was, it no, was definitely one of those. Oh, that's so funny. He's just like, you know, give, give me, I'm going to need an hour. You know, he's like, all right. You got things to do. I'm like, yeah, I got things to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And then That's he would cool. go up there, and then all of a sudden you just, you I mean, because it was loud, you know? You're like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, sometimes when he's up there, he likes to play along the music. And and uh, in this case, it was Master Puppets. And I'm not going to lie to you, he could shred. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, like you know, he was, he was playing it, you know? Which, made again, made me go one of those things of like, wow, you know, be, before this experience maybe I didn't totally appreciate never would have thought about that the yeah. level of like guitar player but then you know when you see behind the curtain and you see him playing stuff like that or playing funk or doing some jazz or whatever you know what I mean and you just see like wow this guy is just a, a music maker like this guy mm-hmm. <laughs> can do it all yeah, like it was it was amazing. Uh, I've just got to geek out one more time before these guys grab the mic off me, but you mentioned Queen earlier. Do you remember any times, because uh, I'm a massive fan of the band as well, do you recall it, you know, any Tie Your Mother Down, any, any like real heavy Queen stuff that he was playing in the background at any point? Or any discussions? No, about we didn't have any discussion. I do, <laughs> I do remember we, we were working on, uh, I think it's called Lay Down. 
I'm sorry, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. I yes. don't remember all yeah. of the, the song. I just know fragments of the song titles. Um, but it was like Lay Down, and, and we're, we're, I remember we were starting on it, and, you know, we had that drum beat, and, you know, and he's like, we got, we got to blow up the drums, you know. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, <laughs> compression or reverb or, you know. And, and we're trying some things, and I remember once, you know, it obviously wasn't getting to where he liked it. And I remember once he just he just stopped, stopped the tape, he's just like, thank Queen. <laughs> and I remember being uh-huh. like, oh. <laughs> and then, boom. And there were, he's like, yeah. there we go. And then off, off to the races. Yeah, because those drum sounds, they have that air of we will rock you. Yeah, that's, massive yeah, that's reverb, yeah. 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 Like the, that super like reverbed out and like it wasn't until he actually made that comment where I understood where all of a sudden we became synced <laughs> with what needed to happen because I'm going like all right well we're gonna parallel these drums and smash the hell out of them and like bring them up and get this thing kind of you know <laughs> he's like wrong think Queen you're like oh I think um, lay down's probably the only song that I can recall that actually has like an alternate version there was like a longer version released on one of Prince's YouTube channels like a few years after 2010 there's like an extended version that was yeah. made after, yeah. kind of after the fact and that's, that's what I was going to ask was that is that the original full length version that you recorded or is that something that was put together later where they just kind of extended different parts I mean I, I believe it was put together later when, when the stuff was extended because Again, to my recollection, we never we never had a, a very long song. We never had a nine minute song okay. that needed to get put down to four. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I don't remember any me doing any of that. So from my recollection, it, it was extended after the fact, and they probably you know moved some things around in the old Pro Tools, and mm. uh, yeah, you know extended it, and then he did whatever he did on the extended version, which I have not heard yet. So oh, um, I'll send you that too. Well, I think it's one of those <laughs> ones you, you listen to it and you think, oh, it's, it's going to have all these other parts. But you listen to it, it's like mm, it sounds like it's just the same song, like but repeating, you know, repeated <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, repeating you know, endlessly. Yeah. It's it, yeah, <laughs> it's probably for the club, you know, people are all jacked up on Molly and they just don't know what's going on and, and, the, and the beat just keeps on going and you know it's just so funny like not to get off the subject but some you know I mean I've been to clubs you know and you're just like wow and, and you know that the song changes but at the same time you're like but is it really? I feel like we have a 250 bar verse and then we have a 560 bar chorus you know and you're just like I can't like maybe because I don't do drugs I'm not totally getting it but <laughs> It's the David yeah, Guetta. Like you lost me after thirty seconds, my friend. Like, I'm I'm waiting for something to come in, and it just keeps on going. <laughs> I just wanted to ask a question about the release of 2010 because obviously it, it never received a, a normal traditional release, and I'm pretty sure it was never even released in America officially. It, it only mm-hmm. ever came out on like these um, exclusive magazine deals, like European magazines. Yep. Which is a bummer. When as soon as I found out that's how he yeah. was doing it, I was just like, mm. really. Dang it. <laughs> like all Napoleon Dynamite. Dang it. <laughs> so it was obviously something that it wasn't something planned while you were recording it, that this was what he was going to do. It was obviously something decided later once the album was sort of done. Yeah, I mean, he always had like different ways, right, of like marketing his, his stuff. And this was this way where he made a, a deal. I don't know what the inner stuff was as far as that deal, but, you know, it was... I know one of them, or maybe it was, there's Trinity Mirror Solutions, I believe, which is like a top umbrella, basically, of a company that does like a bunch of uh, newspaper and magazines in Europe, across Europe. And Mm. uh, yeah, it was just a deal where the disc was put in there, and I think the magazine price went up a little bit 
for that for that issue, and that's basically uh-huh. how he distributed it. And I know that like I think the sales for that issue was like up. I mean, I mean, it was up. I can't remember the total. I know the number someplace. I want to say it was like up like 40% or something from like what it usually does and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, that's basically how he distributed it. And for the longest time, like I got a copy of the album somewhere. But yeah, for the longest time, it was like you'd have to find it on eBay because mm. like it was just not a, mm. here in America. And I don't know the reasoning for that. But I do believe um, the 2010 Deluxe was supposed to be released for the States. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought that that mm. if that was mm. going to come out, that was going to be like a U.S. release. But maybe not. I, I believe that's what the I The problem heard. with calling an album, titling an album by the year is that once the year's done, it's like it's the title makes it it's sound dated news. already. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why, that's why I was raising that earlier thing about potentially it's a play on something else. But it's hard to say what, what he was thinking at the time. Is it 2010? Is it too Otten? Who knows? Oh, oh, is it too? <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's 2010. Yeah. Okay. Don't know why he called it that, but there's obviously some reason, you know. Yeah, I mean, imagine if he called Purple Rain 1984. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have the same zinger to it, does it? Yeah. But you know, I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, he. Did 1999, you know, maybe 2010 oh, yeah. was just a throwback yeah. title to 1999. I don't know. You know, maybe that was because mm. I know, again, he wanted to do it. So it's kind of throwbacky, sonically speaking, you know, mm. so maybe, maybe, maybe I n- that's I'd just never the made answer. that connection. I'd never yeah. made that connection. It's a throwback album. Yeah. And he named the album after a year which he hadn't yeah. done since 1999. Oh, wow. That's, wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm just guessing, but Never it, it seems that. like yeah. his logic would, would do that. Yeah. We'll take that. So I guess that leads us to how did your time with Prince end? Like um, you did the 2010 album. Was it almost like see you later or it was just kind of organically? Uh, no, I mean, he, you know, no, I mean, I was, I went out there after that as well. You know, he, it, it was never, hey, there was never really like, there wasn't like an end. It's not like, oh, I just finished, right. you, know, uh, you know, a Metallica record, let's say, as an example. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you're like, hey, record's done and cheers. I mean, it, it was never really, it was never really like that. You know, he always had a couple guys and I was just one of them. And I think, you know, I mean, I know I went on songs that were started by somebody else for a couple days. And I just think that whatever he was looking for energy wise or maybe what, certain people bring to the table sonically engineering or whatever, you know, they would get the call, you know, because I just happened to do the record. But I've done stuff with him after that I know that other people were working on. You know, so there wasn't there wasn't like an an end. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, unless you get fired, Mm. there wasn't like an end. It was Mm. just like, well, I'm done for the day. And uh, he doesn't have me booked past this. So, you know, I might get a call (laughs) next week. I might get a call in a month. I might get a call in six months or I might not get a call. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of like, yeah, Yeah. boom, 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 boom. And I think he again, he's a very much an energy guy. And I think it just kind of caters to, you know, what he's feeling and maybe what he's trying to do uh, you know again on a sonic level um i mean he knew my my roots were more uh like guitar oriented and as far as that stuff versus like jazz or whatnot um Mm. i don't think i'd necessarily be the guy that he would call to do like rainbow children Mm. i mean i mean you know what i mean yeah um (laughs) i mean i could do that yeah but i think he just 
again, I think he recognizes people's where, where they reside and what their strong suits might be. So there wasn't, uh, there was never really a time of like, oh, hey, peace. You know, it was mm-hmm. just kind of like, you know, yeah. I'll give you a call. Oh shit, Rec- <laughs> keep it going. Oh, records out. <laughs> record, yeah. record got released in Europe, and then you know, maybe you know, a, a month or something after that, you'd be, I'd be out there for a couple of days. You know, so yeah. From from what we can gather, that was that yeah. seems to be the trend. That Prince wasn't one for goodbyes. It was more a case of, all right, well, you know, we we finished this. I'll, uh, I'll yeah. call you when I need you next. Yeah. And then you know, sometimes the call came soon, or sometimes the call came mm. later. And for some people, it didn't the call come. Didn't, never come. You know, <laughs> never came. But that but that doesn't mean that. That doesn't mean that he wasn't at some point thinking of using someone again. But it sounds like after 2010, you still worked on a... Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I was out there, you know, for sure. I mean, after the fact. But I also, at that time, had a bunch of other stuff going on. And mm. But yeah, it was just kind of... He just keeps people around for whatever I think is going to help him get to the thing. You know, just like sometimes... You know, he might have Michael Bland play. Sometimes it might be Kirky J. I mean, you know, it's just kind of like... I mean, they they all slay <laughs> at their craft, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, I yeah. think I want his vibe. And I think he kind of looked at that stuff the same way as far as, like, engineers he had around him. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to do yeah. some songs that are going to be a little more guitar-oriented, you know, like Rage Against the Machine or whatever. Mm. Let's, let's get fluff. Blah, <laughs> oh, blah, blah, blah. God, you I'd know, love or, to hear if he recorded or, something like that. Or, 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 or uh-huh. I mean, you know what I mean? Where it's just kind of like... Which is very smart, you know. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, I do that stuff, you know, on on mm. for people who mix for me or just different mastering guys of just like this guy is going to slay it, you know, for what yeah. musically is going on, or this guy is going to slay it for, you know. I mean, I have a guy that does all of my heavy stuff. I have a guy that does more of my country rock kind of stuff, organic, mm. and, and it's just because that's what they do and they do it really well. So it's like. Nobody's trying to be the one. The one guy does it all. From your memory, do you remember if you recorded Michael B on drums for anything? Not out there, but I've I've recorded Michael B a gazillion times. Yeah, uh, he's pl- he's played on a bunch of my stuff. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you, know, you know I've recorded some Soul Asylum, and you know. Ah, okay. He is awesome, especially when he's, you get him him and Sonny Thompson together. I call them the Terror Twins. Again, uh, you are on the right show to say that. Yeah. They are my those two together are my favorite <laughs> bass and drum combo ever in Prince history. Rhythm Dude, combo, to watch yeah. those guys just be in the studio and just I literally yep. call them the Terror Twins. Those guys are just like and they both have like perfect pitch and they're you know and you're just like yep. this is nutsoids and how cool, especially when you're like this needs to be like a dancier kind of you know but it needs to have some swagger and they're just like okay by the time they run through it like the second or third time it's you're just like bam this is this yeah. is gonna be nuts and i don't need to get in there and fix things in pro tools mm. or put it to a grid because they are machines and they have that feel where again you take it back to like pussy control and shit you know where you're like god damn yeah. <laughs> like this is yeah. what <laughs> yeah, you know, terror twins, the terror twins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember those guys on an album. Um, you might know uh, the guy I'm talking about, uh, Jeff Lee Johnson. Back in, oh, I think it was the early 2000s. It was a really Sons of Almighty. Of, uh, yeah, News from the Jungle was the name of the record, but uh, News from Jungle, yeah, yeah. And so they had Jeff Lee on guitar and um, uh, or Jeff Johnson. I should I should refer to him as. And then they had Sonny T. Michael B. on drums, and that is an Awesome record. I think they record. Yeah, it was recorded in Minneapolis because they're all locals. CD yeah. Underbelly, I think, was yeah. the studio. But oh, 
Nice. Yeah. And unfortunately, and it, it's been closed, but... Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been closed for like a decade now, but yeah, great room. It was yeah. a great room that was in Minneapolis. And that's a great record for anyone out there that isn't familiar mm. with it. So just a, another shout out to Sonny T and Michael B. It's, it's like much oh. heavier playing, which again, they can do well, with their uh, eyes you know, right. A lot of people don't know this because I've had Sonny Thompson playing some stuff that's heavy. Like he, you know, he's known for what he's known, but... Like, he grew up, like, on Black Sabbath. Uh, like, he's, like, yeah. his roots yeah. are rock and, like, heavy rock like that. Like, he's just, like, I love that stuff. I mean, there's there's one project I was doing that had, um, oh, I forget his name, from Maserati. Christian. I think it's Christian. Anyhow, where he, Christian was singing and playing guitar and, and, and Sonny Thompson was playing bass and there's a different drummer. And I remember, it, you know, we were talking about it because it's like they're kind of heavier songs, you know? And he was just like, I've never seen him so stoked in the mm-hmm. studio. I mean, he's, a, you know, he's a very positive dude and he's, you know, he's a stoked individual, quote unquote. But like he was like bouncing around just because like how heavy this stuff was turning out. I'm just looking at him like, what? Like, I thought you were like this funk yeah. R&B guy. He's like, no, dude. Like, I grew up on this stuff. You know, like, this is what I love. Like, he loves like heavy guitars and he's loves playing heavy guitars. But oh, uh, yeah, those guys are. Those guys are sick, sick players and amazing human oh, yeah. beings. <laughs> That's the other thing. Um, Those guys are all amazing human beings. I've know? got a question about the Prince Estate. Oof. For the last year or two, they've been released. You know, well, I mean, um, they've been in a few weeks' time. Earlier, they put out mm. Musicology and Thirty One Twenty One again. And I mean, have you heard any rumblings about them potentially putting Twenty Ten on vinyl or and like doing a, a re-release? Of I that have. Or? Zero clue. I thought so. I thought I had to ask. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I have no idea. Um, you you can know. call it 2020. That'll be the <laughs> 10 year anniversary. I mean, you know. I mean, quite honestly, because I'm assured the 2010 deluxe is done and sitting yeah. in the vault. I mean, if they were, if if they have any type of marketing strategy, that's exactly what they would mm. do. They would like just do 2020, the 2010 deluxe, and like release it on the same day in July and just <laughs> drop it like it's mm. hot. You know, mm. that's right. That's- some advice from the fluff. Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, I, I honestly don't know. You know, I mean, I haven't really, uh, I haven't been in touch with the estate at all, yep. quite frankly. So I don't know. The only people I'm really in touch with is like, again, and that's when I see them now because I'm out here and they're all in, yeah. in Minneapolis, you know. Um, it would be like when I see them in person, you know, like Mikey B or or Sonny, you know, or Morris, right? Yeah. Minus on Facebook, sometimes we converse, you know, but yeah. as far as the state stuff, honestly, I have no clue. I have no idea what is happening. Mm. I just saw that the originals was <laughs> being released <laughs> and like, and I saw like there's like a new version or like a vinyl version of like the gold experience or something that's coming out. Or yeah, there's a bunch of vinyl oh, plans coming in. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. You know, more power to them. You know, I mean, I think his music should, you know, if, be heard. If they for do sure. so. release 2010, is that something they they don't like need to come to you? There's no permission you need to give. That's already you're done. No. Oh so, no, yeah. no. Yeah, I mean, I'm done. They could do whatever they want okay, to do so. with it. I mean, I was just there as an as an engineer. Yeah, and and put it out there. I think it'd be great. I mean, it's like technically now it's it's available in the states via Spotify and iTunes, right? Mm. But oh, um, physical proper release would be great know. in US. I mean, I'd, I'd love it. I mean, I think so. Personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think getting all this stuff on mm. vinyl would be dope. Even if you, even if you don't ever listen to it, just to have his whole catalog on vinyl would be super yeah. sick. Just like MJ, just to have it like. 
Bam. Yeah. One day we'll have it all. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> one day, my friend. One, one day, day. <laughs> hopefully, a lot of that music sees the light of day. Because there's there's some there's some serious jams. I'm ready. I'm ready. Estate, bring yeah. it on. At least, at least <laughs> yeah, from what I've been involved ready. in, there's some like there's some serious jams. You know, where you're like, wow, Man. this is this is this is just cool. There's some that you're just like, wow, this is this is a great track. But then there's some that are like, that's got some tasty playing. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. That's yeah, cool yeah. in its own right, right? So, hopefully, that all pans out to where that stuff can hopefully come out. I guess again, I don't know what restrictions are happening on the, on that realm but hopefully next year is the year and you know we get that 2010 deluxe or w- whatever they call it but that'd be cool to hear well let yeah. you know um, just in case you're yeah, not the other following is- the estate i'll send you a message <laughs> <laughs> exactly but uh look it's been it's been super awesome uh having you on because every time we speak to someone who's been involved in a, a different period or a specific period in this case of prince's career and we we get a peak mm-hmm. and and an opportunity to peer behind the curtain and, uh, you know, hear about what was happening in the studio, what may have been going on, you know, at Paisley Park and, and also shining a light not, not only on him but on the people involved. So we wanted to thank you for coming on our show and waxing lyrical and poetic about Prince but also about music and even some of the geeky stuff that yeah. I know some of the audio nerds are going to be yeah. looking up now. Someone's probably trying to put a bid on, on an old mic on eBay, <laughs> <laughs> bring it in their own studio. <laughs> oh, you, you never know. Oh, no. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, yep, I get it. You know, it's, <laughs> again, it's, it's so funny because when I, when I first got uh, heard of the podcast, there's um, the, the Richard Furch. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Which yeah. is, I mean, I, like, I think he's amazing, and I think that those records are, are amazing. But, you know, as I was listening to it, I was driving back from, I was Phoenix going to L.A., and I just remember listening to it being like, God, I could relate. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> nope, no, that, yep, there it is. Uh-huh. Yep. Where, you know, I'm just like, ah, you know, <laughs> am I going to have any t- anything different, you know, <laughs> than what he's already yeah, saying? Yeah. Because... My experience from what, you know, he was saying is, you know, a lot of it is extremely obviously similar. So, And we're also mindful of what can and can't be said or should and shouldn't as well. So we appreciate you, you know, giving us some scoops and some uh, some really cool info and stories. And some, funny, yeah. some funny. I mean, the cookie is brilliant. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The, the, the cookie <laughs> one is, is a fun one. Again, there's there's some other ones that, you know, and it's it's not because like anything weird or you know, nah. yeah, yeah. is happening by yeah. any means. You want to keep but, your you know, private just a lot memories of, and stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, you know, I mean, I just, yeah, there's just a a lot of like that where I'm like, you know, that that was just like a real cool moment that, quite That's frankly, <laughs> I think I just want I just want to keep for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's only special because yeah. you hold it dear, right? It yeah. doesn't, it loses something. If, yeah. yeah. So we get know. it. We yeah. completely get that. But again, we've been rambling for a while, so we want to thank you so much for, for coming on our show and uh, having a chat to us. Killer. And uh, yeah, we're going to keep for having an me. eye out on, after, definitely going to keep an eye and an ear out for uh, what's happening in, in Minneapolis these days and in the music scene in, in, uh, in general. But yeah, nice. definitely. Awesome. Sweet, guys. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to another classic Peach and Black podcast. Catch all our episodes at podbean.com, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, and all good podcast directories. Search for Peach and Black Podcast. You can continue your Peach and Black experience online. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The Peach and Black Podcast is written and produced by Rob S., MC, Player, Toe Jam, and Captain. 
Original theme music by yours truly, ToeJam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and Prince fans. If you love our show, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. You can contact the Peach and Black Podcast by email at peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com.